Hello, urbanists. Parksify needs your support. As an independent podcast, Parksify depends on support from patrons. So if you're enjoying the Parksify podcast, consider signing up as a patron for as little as $1 a month. For every hour worth of podcast episodes, it takes 10 hours of production time. So if you're enjoying the podcast and find value in my work, consider becoming a patron. We have great perks including stickers and t-shirts, and all patrons receive access to our articles and early access to this podcast. To learn more and to sign up, just head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com parksify. Thanks for your support. Hello, I'm Ash Blankenship, and this is the Parksify Podcast, where each week I talk with planners, urbanists, authors, and changemakers in our cities to discuss topics that impact our communities. On today's show, Ryan Undercoffer discusses the government-citizen relationship. Ryan is the founder of the blog Citizen Guidebook, which can be found at citizenguidebook.com. I recently sat down with Ryan to ask him about actions local governments can take to help encourage participation among citizens. Citizens have to take responsibility for understanding the things that, that their governments are doing. But at the same time, it's the responsibility of government to meet them <laughs> halfway and mm-hmm. say, you know, make it as easy as you can for that information to be consumed by the public. My conversation with Ryan Undercoffer is all ahead on this week's episode of the Parksify podcast. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, you run a blog called Citizen Guidebook, which is available at citizenguidebook.com. On the blog, you actually write about citizen engagement, transparency, and legislation. So can you start us off by talking about what inspired you to start Citizen Guidebook? Sure. Uh, I work in local government. I have for a few years now. One thing that we're always trying to do is increase public participation. Basically, I'm motivated by the idea that our government gets better when people are engaged with their local governments, state governments, federal, when public officials are like open to that. Uh, So when people are, you'll see I write a lot about how governments can also increase public participation and get people more involved because basically the country gets better and better as as people make their voices heard and as, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as public officials start to listen to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an article you've written too. And the title of the article is the easiest steps towards creating government by the people. And in this article, you actually mention different methods that can be used to help engage citizens in the planning process. Can you tell us what some of these methods are? Sure. Yeah. I think uh, there's there's a couple like kind of easy ones, right? The simple ones are advertising. That's just something that when when governments hold public meetings, very often it's like a either a really long legal notice in mm. size five font that nobody mm-hmm. really understands or, uh, or it's just the minimum. They're doing the bare minimum. That's not going to cut it. I mean, people, there's a reason that people spend so much money on advertising for everything else because people, it's hard to cut through the noise, right? So you, you have to take advertising seriously when you're talking about your public meetings. Another simple one is just having food at a, an event. I mean, the, just you'd be amazed <laughs> the, mm-hmm. or maybe not. maybe it's an obvious thing, but it's a big draw and it's something that governments don't do. It just makes it easier for people to have a dinner time meeting. But the more complex stuff is, you know, participatory budgeting is, is a huge one. Uh, something that's close to my heart. Uh, my, I work for the community development department in the city of Niagara Falls. 
I know you had, had Seth on the, the podcast to talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, participatory budgeting is just a fantastic way to get direct input on how money should be spent. You know, it's it's citizens' money. They should be deciding where it goes, especially on issues where it's uh, where they're the best judge. You know, mm-hmm, right? Um, another one is like public facing white papers on policy. If a government is thinking about doing something. Why not put together a white paper on it and make it available for people to see what the details are mm-hmm. and let them kind of make them in, informed so they can weigh in. I think citizens have to take responsibility for understanding the things that, that their governments are doing. But at the same time, it's the responsibility of government to meet them <laughs> halfway and mm-hmm. say, you know, make it as easy as you can for that information to be consumed by the public. So, Ryan, here on the show, we've actually talked a lot about engaging citizens when it comes to public space design and development, as well as budgeting, like you mentioned the episode we had with Seth Picarillo. But it it seems that you believe that we should even do more to engage public kind of on deeper levels. So at what levels should government involve citizens when it comes to actually planning our cities? So city planning is actually a, a good area to focus on when we talk about citizen engagement. Mm-hmm. Basically, I wouldn't necessarily expect the average voter to weigh in on uh, whether the city should, whether a city should bond for a project versus, you know, use some other revenue source from some other fund that, you know, the, the getting too in the weeds on like public mm-hmm. finance. It's not that people can't understand it. It's that people have a limited bandwidth, you know, and so the issues where I feel like you could, where we should be engaging with citizens more and more are those that affect quality of life. Uh, urban planning is one of them, but within urban planning, I mean, there's so much. Uh, parks are, you know, we, our department looked at parks improvements. That was our first one. Now for the 2018, our 2018 budget, we've built in $360,000 for placemaking, which is, you know, could impact parks, obviously, but just larger, it's sort of thinking bigger than just park mm-hmm. because we think that it, that's one area where it's just guaranteed that the people who are most likely to know what's best are the people who are confronted by places every day, the people who are living and working there all the time. So you mentioned too that there are some areas where the public doesn't actually want to get too into the weeds with things. But are there any other areas or any other times when citizens should not be involved with this process? That's a great question. So I, I have an article on there um, that talks about technocracy versus mm-hmm. democracy. Uh, and it, technocracy is basically just putting experts, subject matter experts, on problems and having them work on it. Now, government having a good government, in my opinion, is about balancing those two things. It's about letting the people who understand issues deeply and who work with them every single day do their jobs, but while also taking into account citizen feedback. So kind of through the process of actually working on Citizen Guidebook, it's kind of led me to have a view of what government should do and what public servants should do, where basically we have a responsibility to take whatever we hear from citizens interpret that with our expertise in whatever subject matter area we are expert and then make it happen or at least have it reflected in 
the things that we do uh, in our jobs. So sometimes that's going to mean, you know, you're, you're going to get beat. Oftentimes like our, our department uh, is funded by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. So there are limits to the things we can do. There's lots of rules and regulations on how that money can be spent. So very often we'll get asked to do something that is probably a good idea, but not something we can spend these dollars on. So it's our responsibility to take what's otherwise a good idea and then find another way to do it, make it happen. I mean, just because it's not, might not happen the way that person envisioned, might not be paid for the same way, but it's our responsibility to do our best to, to try and make things that the public wants mm-hmm. uh, a reality as long as they're in line with uh, what we already know as the people who work in these subject matter areas every day. We'll return to my conversation with Ryan Undercoffer in a moment. But first, for Parksify podcast listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. I highly recommend Jeff Speck's Walkable City, How Downtown Can Save America, One Step at a Time. Speck discusses the benefits of walkability in our cities. It's a timely and thought-provoking book, and it's read by the author. You can download this or another book today for free by going to audibletrial.com slash Parksify. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Parksify for your free audiobook. So there's one other thing I'd love to bring up, and there's an article that you've actually written on your site called The Case for Entitlement. And in that article, you actually write that elected officials and government employees are widely viewed with suspicion and sometimes with an assumption that some scandal must be lurking below the surface. So how do you think this viewpoint actually impacts the citizen-government relationship? You had you said the case for entitlement. It's, mm-hmm. it's oh, establishment. For, yeah, establishment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but the it, no that that view is really a big motivator for continuing to do the citizen guidebook project because you you go on any form of social media and more so than in the last I'd say in the last ten years. Uh, there's conspiracy theories all over the place. There's a, just a, a rampant distrust of government that is honestly at its deepest level. It's ill-informed. It's just not, it's usually coming from a place where people don't really understand how things work. So it's easy to fill that void with nonsense. If somebody gets there first and gives you a set of, you know, it, it sort of says something that is otherwise kind of in line with what you were feeling. And, and then that's how a conspiracy takes root. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's getting worse. Um, now, with that said, I'm 100 percent of the belief that it's, it's the government's responsibility to meet citizens uh, halfway on that and be transparent, be as open as possible, be clear in what you're doing and explain every, every move that you can uh that you can uh, practically explain to the public in a simple way, you should be doing that. Because the alternative is we lose the republic, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's, you know, I, I have an article on there um, that was inspired by a book I was reading by Earl Warren called A Republic If You Can Keep It. And it, the title comes from an episode during the drafting of the Declaration of Independence. Where or no, it may, they, no, excuse me. They must have been working on the uh, 
Articles of Confederation or the Constitution. I don't recall exactly, but mm-hmm. somebody stopped Ben Franklin on the street and said, have you, you know, what what do we have? Do we have a, a monarchy or a republic? And Ben Franklin says, a republic if you can keep it. Mm-hmm. That's like, we're talking about the the day the republic was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're still, yeah. That moment where everybody knew, at least the founding fathers knew, this is going to take work. It's mm-hmm. not something to just keep without without a lot of work. It's tiresome. No no one wants to go to a city council meeting at 6 p.m. on you know on a weekday when you could be home eating dinner with your family. Mm-hmm. I get it. But if we're not doing that, if no one's doing that, if no one is is trusting enough that it's worth going to that, that it's not all just oh it's politicians trying to screw everybody over. Then that's when politicians get to do whatever they want because mm-hmm. nobody cares and nobody's paying attention. Yeah, I mean it's it's not like it's a hard sell for people. Yeah, transparent government and and public participation, but still it's it's hard to uh, it's it's just so easy to see the the negative effects when people stop believing that uh, it's worth their time to to engage with what's going on in reality uh, with regard to their government. Mm-hmm. And there's also been a hindrance lately, really, on the federal government level. And as a result, many mayors are taking the lead in projects that the federal government actually once pursued. So as someone who believes that some of the greatest impacts happen at a local level, do you feel that local governments and mayors will lead citizens and cities into the future? Well, I definitely think local you know, citizens participating at the local level are the way that we're going to move forward. I mean, that's that's what's going to move things. If you look at, uh, you know, citizens who who participate at the local level, a subset of them become elected officials at the local level and a subset of them become elected officials at the state level and Mm -hmm. a subset of them elected officials at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to start locally. Cities, mayors are going to have an impact on your daily life in a way that President Trump is not going to, no matter what. You know, as a, so long as we have a federalist system, it's, it's mm-hmm. just always going to be the case that your your local government is going to impact you the most. So best practices often arise out of cities. And so long as uh, the federal government divests some of what they do and that gets picked up by the local governments. Absolutely. Where you're going to see innovation. That's where you're going to see things things change. Should that bring us some comfort? In a way, considering the, the all that's going on in the federal level, I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would think even uh, even it, you know in, in any given context, a local government, if they are, if the citizens of, of a municipality, for example, are engaged, their impact is so much larger per person. Than if they if you try to engage with the federal government, and mm-hmm. it's just because it's lost in a sea of 350 million people in the United States try to do that. If you're going to a city council meeting, you're one of 25 people. I mean, how, how many? It depends on your city, of course, but you know, in in most medium or smaller sized cities, which is where a lot of America lives, you're going to be one of very few people that's actually making your voice heard. Mm-hmm. So the more people do this, the more the people engage in cities. The more, regardless of you know what your given policy stance is, just the more citizens' opinions are going to be reflected in policy. So, Ryan, you also write that open data is actually making its way towards local governments on a, a more in-depth level. 
So what kind of impact do you think that data-driven cities will have on our public spaces and our placemaking? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, so there, open data has a lot of like, the, the impact of open data is particularly interesting because you can't predict how it's going to benefit the world, right? Locally, well, I should say in, in upstate New York, there have been a f- number of hackathons uh, with open data where data is made available to programmers who then come up with an app that utilizes that data in a cool, interesting way. Uh, and and you're, it's always a surprise. You never know how, th- how things are going to go. But me being maybe not the most creative person, <laughs> I, to me it seems like the biggest uh, benefit of open data with regard to public spaces is going to be an advocacy. Mm-hmm. Because when you really make the case that you know, this area of a city is underserved by parks and you're able to say, what's spent on parks in other neighborhoods, what, you know, you're able to point out, if you have open data, uh, you're able to point out inequality, you're able to point out areas that are underserved, you can point out what the results have been from varying levels of, of uh, public space. It's just, it's hard to say without an exact uh, example, mm-hmm. but I think advocacy is one area where it's easiest, I think, to uh, to imagine open data making an impact on public spaces. All right, right. Ryan. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Have a good one. If you want, you can also follow me on Twitter. That's at Citizen Guide Boo because I couldn't fit Citizen Guidebook. So (laughs) that's what that. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. That's all for this week's episode of the Parksify podcast. I'm Ash Blankenship, your host. I've been speaking with Ryan Underkoffer, the founder of the blog Citizen Guidebook. As a reminder, the Parksify podcast is funded by patrons. So if you're enjoying the podcast, consider becoming a patron for as little as $1 a month. All funds go directly towards this podcast. You can sign up today by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com Parksify. Our theme music was composed by bensound.com. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and consider leaving a review on iTunes so more folks can find Parksify. Until next time, keep chasing those public spaces.